Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits and improve your business and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Madalena sanchez Ampalo and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional translators striving to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 86. Today, we're going to address a topic that is crucial to add to your marketing toolkit, the art of business storytelling. Effective marketing and networking are not just about clear communication. It's important to be aware of how we translators and interpreters tend to talk about our professions and the value we bring and to understand what our clients' experiences and expectations are. Whether you're a seasoned translator or interpreter or someone who is just starting out, you need to be able to weave a compelling narrative that resonates with your clients and helps foster your business relationships. We're excited to discuss this topic with our guests and welcome Joe Lepine and Anne-Marie Boulanger to the podcast. Joe was born into a French-speaking family in Belgium and grew up in the U.S. before moving to Quebec in 2006. When he took his first translation course on a whim, he knew he had found his calling. He went on to earn a bachelor's degree in translation and a master's degree in education. In the ensuing years, he translated for a myriad of prestigious clients in Quebec and abroad. To share his passion for the craft, over the past 15 years, Joe has taught French into English translation and related courses at Université de Sherbrooke and trained for NATO, the United Nations, the European Commission, OTIAC, Magistrat, Editors Canada, the Translation Bureau, ITI, Training for Translators, and many others. Today, he is the co-founder of Lion Translation Academy, which offers training to help translators and translation teams to thrive in every area of their practice. And Anne-Marie was born in Montreal, Quebec, to an Anglophone mother and a Francophone father. After earning a college diploma in liberal arts, she heard about an acquaintance who was studying translation, and that's when the light bulb went off. After graduating with a bachelor's degree in translation from Concordia University, she was hired by startup translation firm Traduction Proteus Inc., which she eventually bought in 2005. The business continues to thrive today. A lifelong learner, Anne-Marie later earned an MA in translation studies from Concordia in 2018. Her other hats include co-founder of Lion Translations Academy and part-time lecturer in translation at McGill University. When Anne-Marie isn't translating commercial texts, she can be found working on children's books with more than 45 translations to her credit so far. Her first literary translation, The Woman in Valencia by Annie Perrault, was named a World Literature Today Notable Translation of 2021. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators and Marie and Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for joining us, Joe and Anne-Marie. I think people probably listening have heard of both of you, but maybe haven't, you know, been able to see you both present together. So we're really excited that you're joining us here today. Before we get started, can you both please tell our listeners about yourselves and your businesses, you know, where you're based, what you do, and the services you offer? And we'll start with Anne-Marie. Yes. Hi. So as you mentioned, I am the owner of Traduction Proteus Inc. based in Montreal, where I live and work. I translate from French to English. I specialize in medical and life sciences, but do a healthy dose of general translation, as well as literary, as you mentioned. The company itself has been going since 1998. I've owned it since 2005. It has evolved over the years. I had translators on staff 
I, I was, I guess, what you would call a small agency. I had six to eight full-time translators and, and admin people on staff. But about 10, 11 years ago, that evolved. The market evolved here in Montreal, and I, I downsized to myself and an assistant. And our client base has also evolved. I've gone from working substantially for agencies to almost exclusively direct clients. So that's the state that we're in now uh, with Traduction Proteus. And of course, I work with Joe running uh, Lion Translation Academy. That's so cool. I like hearing about how your business evolved and how you downsized. I think a lot of people don't talk about that. And I think that's really cool. No, it was a challenge. I, I kind of was poised on an edge where I could have gone two different ways. I could have gotten bigger or or downsized. And ultimately that proved the, the best decision for me and my business. Which is great. I think that's wonderful when you can choose what's best for you. I think that's a, an admirable thing to do. Thank you. Joe, what about you and your business? So in terms of my translation business specifically, I after doing my degree, I, I kind of knew right off the bat that I wanted to be a freelancer or have my own business. To me, the idea of working at an agency never really resonated. I guess I'm sort of a lone wolf. And so after finishing my degree, I launched my business, Traduction Lyon, and started working for agencies and various clients. I also, in a way, I think I almost looked too hard because it turns out I had a great specialization already since I had a master's in education. I started get, being sought out pretty quickly for academic translation jobs. So translating book chapters, books, academic articles, and things like that. And I remember having this deep conversation with my mentor and being like, what, what should I specialize in? You know, successful translators tend to have a specialty. And she's like, well, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, oh, well, these articles are sending, these professors are sending me articles and she's like, Joe, you have a specialization. It's called academic translation. Hello. So my light bulb moment. And I'm like, why, you know, and that's what I, I tell a lot of translators today. It's like, sometimes you already have an ace up your sleeve, but you never thought of it in those terms. That's true. Yeah. And then you two also have developed the Academy together, which we're going to talk about later. But how did you come up with that name and how did you decide to work together? The idea was originally mine. I was kind of thinking to myself, that was the point at the end of the pandemic where I had taught about, I think I had something like 30 or, or 35 workshops that I've done for different organizations. And one day I was looking at my list and I was just thinking, you know, I love training. This is just absolutely my passion. I love sharing everything I've learned over the years. But with this many workshops, while it's great to train for other organizations, I, I think I would have enough to sort of start my own thing. But I felt like, you know, starting my own academy with no one else just, just felt wrong somehow. And so I started doing a, a big translation job with Anne-Marie. We, we were the finalists. We were selected for a big translation thing for a mental health client. And so we were working together. And one day I just shot it over to her and I said, hey, I think I'm, I, th I think I'm ready to start some kind of a school or academy or something because I just love creating workshops and I've got so many already. Would you be on board? And, uh, <laughs> and Ruth, you want to tell us your answer? I said, sure, why not? <laughs> I, I tend to be that way in life. You know, I get I get complacent. I get to a stage where things are going smoothly and, and dare I say, I, I get a little bored. So when Joe threw this my way, I was like, absolutely, I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, I think that's something we have in common too, is that Anne-Marie and I, we both, when we're approached about doing things, we're just like, sure, I'll do it. You know, we're, we're, we tend to not be afraid of challenges and and we like we like to take on new things. And yeah, I think this ties in well 
to with the subject of your podcast. That's some, a habit that I think Anne-Marie devi- developed at some point down the road. It's like, we live in our discomfort zones. We're always taking on new things and stretching our limits. So I think that that was part of the ethos as well. It's like, let's let's try something and see what happens and we'll we'll do it together. It'll be fun. And you just gave me the perfect segue into our next question, which is what are some smart habits that have been crucial in your careers? Joe, let's start with you with this one. Okay, sure. Well, I mentioned sort of living in my discomfort zone. I'm a very shy person in my private life. I was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder and had a really hard time when I was younger. I was like cripplingly shy. What I learned at some point down the road was that if you gradually give yourself challenges and you don't miss any steps, you know, you can actually learn to overcome a lot of those challenges. For example, when I started teaching, I was only teaching private one-on-one English lessons. And I graduated to groups of like two people. I was teaching English at the union at the university near where I live. And then I, you know, when I was asked if I would take like a, a slightly larger group, I said, okay. And then I was asked to, asked to teach a course. And then I only accepted because it was a really small class. And then when larger classes, I was like, okay. So I kept growing and now you continue to do this today. You know, I, I just did my first keynote a few weeks ago in Belgium and it wasn't really, it wasn't terrifying, believe it or not, <laughs> even though I'm a side person because I didn't skip steps. You know what I mean? I gradually worked up to the, the size of group I could work up to. So that's something that I found works really well in me, in my life is sort of very gradually pushing my boundaries, but not taking any sudden or crazy leaps. You know, I guess that's a, that's a big one for me. That's cool. I like the idea of living in your discomfort zone. What about you, Anne-Marie? What's a smart habit that's been crucial in your career? Yeah. So despite what Joe just said about how we we do like to creep outside of our comfort zones, I think something that has really helped me in my career is boundaries. That word just came up. But boundaries in the more traditional sense, I've always been very careful about protecting my personal time, especially since I became a mom eight years ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm very good about keeping regular work hours. I don't reply to clients. I don't interact, you know, on social media outside of traditional office hours. And I'm also very careful about what types of work I take on and the deadlines that I accept. So that, has definitely become easier, I would say, with age, with time. I I wasn't always in that mindset. But some other habits that, that sort of go hand in hand with that are, I have always been very good at tracking in my business. So I think that's crucial for translators to keep track of their workflow, how much they have going on, their deadlines. When I had a staff, when I had internal internal translators, I knew exactly how much every translator was doing, like down to the exact word. So I knew, you know, productivity was very important. Financials at any given moment in time, I knew exactly how much money was in my my corporate bank account down to the cent. So I've already been, I've always been sort of meticulous about that. And I think that's important for you know, although we can't predict what is coming down the pipe ever, there is some element of forecasting that that goes hand in hand with with being able to keep statistics like that. So I think that's something that I recommend to beginners who are starting out to, you know, don't go about it haphazardly, start out keeping clear records and, and really track as much as you can and set those boundaries. 
Those are very good pieces of advice. I would agree with you. And I think we probably all could just take a lesson from your book about boundaries in general. I mean, I think a lot of us have sliding boundaries, unfortunately. That's a very good point. And so still on the topic of habits, what's a habit that you might have had earlier in your careers that you no longer practice and why not? Emery? Yeah, so I I would say that it was it's this perfectionism at all costs mentality. Translators tend to get stuck in this, you know, what I everything that I send back has to be, you know, beyond reproach and I'm not by any means advocating against quality. What I'm talking about more is this I call it disproportionate agonizing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I tend to see it again. I've I've mentored a lot of young translators and I, I teach and I see it among, you know, beginner translators or translators who are just starting out who who spend an inordinate amount of time obsessing over their texts, regardless of the the purpose of the text. And really, you know, this is where fit for purpose comes into play somewhat. I like to say that not every text is, is Nobel Prize winning quality or needs to be Nobel Prize winning quality. And sometimes I, I have to give them a real reality check. I have to say, okay, how much are you being paid for this text? And how much time have you spent on it? And, and when you present it that way, that, you know, the, the figures are there in black and white, they realize that that this this disproportionate agonizing comes at a real cost and so i've i've learned to let things go <laughs> you know now instead of obsessing over things and tracking it down and spending hours doing research i'll ask the client or i'll leave comments in the document i don't feel insecure anymore about sending back a translation that has comments or questions for the client it's a very healthy balance, Emery. Yeah, I try. <laughs> it, it's taken 25 years to get here. <laughs> what about you, Joe? What's a habit that you may have had in the past that you don't have anymore? Well, I suppose there's one that springs to mind, which is uh, when a client, a first-time client comes my way, I don't simply give my price upfront. I found that many professionals do not give a price upfront. And sometimes I, you know, if I'm super busy, this actually happened at the ATA conference. A first-time client is like, hey, we need this report translated. What's it cost? And I was just like, whatever. I just answered quickly. Like, this is what it costs. And then, yeah. sure enough, they wrote back the next day. Thank you. We've chosen someone that was less expensive. And that's why I, I have sort of a protocol that I follow and that I teach. In fact, it turns out if I really like looking at what people do outside the translation world. And many professionals don't give their price upfront. So, you know, when I'm not on my phone quickly replying at, at a conference, typically I have sort of a a template that I follow. And I try to meet with that client and understand their needs and start building a relationship. And I think that's Daniel Sebesto was talking about that this morning in his, in his summit presentation, the importance of becoming an advisor. If you're a client and building those relationships, that's really how I've built a six-figure translation business is through the power of relationships. Meeting with my clients, I actually did this in person before the pandemic. If I ever forget to do it, I'm swiftly reminded <laughs> It's super important to build relationships before you talk business, and it totally changes the conversation. So that's been a, a really important game changer for me. All these insights are already, I think, making this podcast really helpful and very inspiring, I think. So let's talk a little more about the importance of relationship building. 
and switch over to the topic of business storytelling. So you both presented a workshop on business storytelling at the AT annual conference in Miami this year. So why is it important for translators and interpreters to be aware of the stories we tell the world and our clients about ourselves? So let's start with you, Joe. Oh, well, that's a really fantastic question. And I've given this some thought uh, and Anne-Marie as well. And one thing that we've realized as we put that presentation together was that a lot of clients don't know much about the translation world. So the stories that we tell them um, shape the way that they treat us, you know, whether or not they treat us as professionals, whether we're able to secure good working conditions and so on. So if your client knows nothing about translation, then they're going to take their cues from you, the translator. And it becomes very, very important to be clear on your stories and sort of how you're going to introduce yourself, how you, you know, how you appear in the world in your online presence. I know that Madalena has written about that topic in your wonderful book. So yeah, it's super important because it shapes the whole dynamic, especially for a first-time client. What are your thoughts on this, Anne-Marie? Yeah, so I think it's also important telling telling stories, presenting our services and our businesses in story form or interwoven with stories builds an emotional connection with our clients as well and our, our readers or our followers. It also builds trust when we can present not only our wins, but also our challenges. People, I know a lot of the posts, blogs that we have written that have resonated the most with people have been when we've prevented, presented our, our flaws or our foibles. A lot of people really responded. I did a post not long ago about how my own business took a financial hit this past year. And the amount of comments I got was, was incredible. Just people saying, oh my God, me too. Like, I'm so glad that somebody else has said something. So I think when we can be honest and transparent about who we are, what we do, why we're doing it, it makes us more memorable and relatable. People tend to remember stories more than they remember facts and figures. It strikes that emotional chord with people. It does help to build that trust that can be the cornerstone of a successful relationship with a client. So what constitutes a good business story and how can we utilize it as a marketing tool? And Marie, let's start with you this time. Right. So like I said, I think any story that you tell needs to be relevant. So it has to strike some sort of chord. It has to, the clients or whomever your target audience is, needs to be able to recognize themselves or elements of themselves in that story. It also needs to create as I said, create trust, but also contain a clear message or a call to action. It needs to, usually it presents some sort of challenge or pain point or conflict that you or your, you know, you or your, your potential client may have encountered and then how you overcame that. So there's almost a moral of the story element to it, right? So, and you're gonna, you're gonna want to humanize your brand and your company, not just presented as this sort of sterile entity that sells products or services. There has to be, there has to be that sort of identification and relatability in any story that you present. Absolutely. Just sort of to build on that, I think that many of us as translators, we've been trained 
to produce impeccable texts, right, that are supposed to be perfect in every way before we hand them in. And we tend to be perfectionists as a group, as a bunch, I think. And so sometimes that's problematic because if you are if you want to become a good storyteller, you have to tell stories and you have to be willing to be a little bit vulnerable, to be relatable. And so that perfectionism, I think, sometimes gets in our way. What I found that works a lot better on social media in particular is being honest, being transparent, like Anne-Marie said, and even being a little bit vulnerable. It's okay to talk about difficult things you've overcome. It's okay to talk about problems. But I would add, it's really important, you know, and this is an element of good storytelling that you'll find in the literature on storytelling. Every story sort of has a hero, and the hero's journey is to come up against adversity and crucially to overcome it. So if you're only on social media sort of complaining and venting and talking about problems and, you know, blacklisting bad clients, if that's all you're doing, it's probably not going to help your business very much. But if you can frame things, what you've overcome, what you've learned, and how you can even be a guide for your clients, you know, I've actually had clients say to me in their emails, hey, you know, here's a new translation. And by the way, I love your stuff on LinkedIn, even though I'm not a translator, your stories are really great. And I'm just always like looking forward to reading your stuff. And it's like, that that's really validating. I was like, wow, all that hard work pays off because, you know, it's sort of the opposite of what you think if you're a little bit vulnerable and honest and but you stay positive, that will really connect with not only translators, but your clients as well. I love to hear you say that. That's Something I think about too, especially when I go on LinkedIn or Twitter before it changed the the name and I left it, that, you know, seeing a lot of negative posts, even from a colleague perspective, doesn't seem to be very helpful and like a good idea long term, I think. And also what you said earlier about being sincere and transparent and relatable, I really like seeing that change on LinkedIn because when I first joined LinkedIn many years ago, it kind of felt like that's a platform where people come in to post, like to craft this perfect post about some professional achievement or or a new connection they made or a new new job they got. Whereas now I see the shift to it, you know, being shorter, more informal, kind of more f- fun posts on LinkedIn. And that's really nice to see. I think that's a welcome change. Yeah, I agree. You've already mentioned a little bit about sharing a negative experience, but putting a positive spin on it. Can you give us an example maybe of a negative story in business storytelling that, you know, is effective and why it would be effective to share something negative? Let's see, on the spot, that's a good challenge. But you know what? Why don't we just take the example we had earlier, right? I'm a big fan of low-hanging fruit. We gave the example of what happened at ATA. So I got a request and because I didn't have the time to go through my usual procedure and meet with a client on Zoom and understand their needs and start to see how we can work together and and if we're a good fit, right? They have to qualify for me. Yes, I have to qualify for them. They also have to qualify for my services. And so that's crucial. But because in that case, I was too busy and I didn't follow my own advice, I didn't take my own medicine, you know, and the client went somewhere else. And that makes total sense, right? Because if, you, if you're if you looking to buy a new phone and you could buy it at Best Buy or you could buy it at Staples, well, you're probably going to look at where it's less expensive because your only basis for comparison is like where you go geographically to buy it, right? It's the same physical product. So if the client doesn't have a differentiating factor, they don't have any benchmarking, they don't have anything that helps to understand the value of what you're providing, then they will tend to go with cheaper, whatever alternatives they have in front of them. So that one right there could be a post in itself. And I don't think it would be perceived negatively by clients because it's about building relationships with them and understanding 
and caring about them. So that in itself, actually, maybe that'll be my next post. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. (laughs) Yeah, those discovery calls are really, really important. And I think people don't do them enough. And they just, you know, are quick transactional, you know, emails. It's going to cost this much. And sometimes there's a lot more legwork in there that can be done. And the value you can provide through a conversation can become more apparent to a client. Totally. I know Joe and I have both both had examples of of this over recent weeks. We've and and other translators have been experiencing it as well. Clients reaching out wanting to have us revise content that they have translated using NMT or generative AI, and we, I think we both shared examples of that on. LinkedIn as well. You know, we've told our personal stories about how we have been approached with these, I guess, less than savory requests and how we dealt with it, how we overcame that situation, how we countered the the client's request and did our role as advisors. So, you know, not everything. We're we're like everyone else. We we experience these ups and downs in our business as well. And I think it's important to share the downs as well as the ups because, like I said, it makes us it makes us more relatable. And I think the the lessons that we draw from from those experiences, whether they be positive or negative, whether we stumble or we or we rise and we do stumble <laughs> more than more than we care to admit, it's helpful. It's definitely helpful when you can tell those stories that other translators can can see. It's like a, a mirror. It's almost like holding a mirror up to other translators, I've found. Yeah. And the challenges change, but you know, everybody has them. So that's I agree that's very relatable. And so do you two have any other tips on how to consciously craft narratives about the value of our work? Anne-Marie, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, so I, I think it's important to really draw on your personal everyday experiences. I've sort of, I almost have a radar attuned to to things around me. I keep a notebook next to my desk that I can use to jot down ideas for for future posts, you know, it could be something mundane, seemingly mundane that happens, but then you think, oh, you know, that contains a nugget of helpful information or that I could turn that into a post that that people might relate to. So I think it's important to notice the stories around you, even in your, your personal life and how you can draw parallels between those stories and the translation world. So it's really a combination of paying attention, honing your, tuning your radar and writing things down. Cause goodness knows at this point, I have so much going on that I like to say my mind is like a sieve. And if I don't, if I don't write things down immediately, they're gone. So I have that trusty notebook all the time. Yeah. I have the same problem. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Joe? Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading a book yesterday by Eben Pagan on opportunity and innovation. And he was talking about the the origin of creativity, which I think is really close to what we're talking about here. And he says, you know, one thing that innovative people do, if you want to come up with fresh ideas, it really helps to give yourself an exercise of connecting two things that seem unconnected. Like you could look at a tree and then you could look at a lawnmower and then you could think about, you know, what do they have in common? Is there maybe a story here? And you start, you know, jotting ideas down. And so creativity is something that you absolutely can cultivate and learn by, like Anne-Marie said, by sort of drawing links between things that you wouldn't have had, wouldn't have thought to draw a link between before. I find that's really where things get to be a lot of fun with storytelling and with posting. And I, you know, the origin of a lot of my stuff that I post is personal and it's things, 
you know, another great one I have up my sleeve because I have a notebook too. Like I was telling Anne-Marie the other day, I was I had a super stressful day and then I ran to the spa because there, there are these great Nordic spas here in Quebec that are amazing in the winter. So I got there and, you know, I was all, I was huffing and puffing. I'd had a super, super stressful day. And then finally I opened the door and I'm breathing in the air. And it's like, this smells of, of like, like the, the firewood, you know, there, there are outdoor fires and, and all these wonderful smells of like whatever, lavender and eucalyptus. And I'm going to walk in the door. And then I realize I forgot my bathing suit. I was so stressed out. <laughs> one thing I needed. And it was like too late to go back home and like drive 40 minutes to go back. And so I just like went home and I thought, well, how could I make the most of this? I guess I would go to the park instead and I'll just take a long walk by myself. And that ended up being a really great walk. And I jotted down some notes in my journal and I came home just as refreshed as if I'd been to the spa. But I was telling her that's the kind of thing, like if you start watching out for these everyday little anecdotes and things that happen to you. There's plenty of material you could use for your posts. I'm sure that could be tied very easily to a business question. You know, when you're too stressed out, you're not thinking straight, you you do something too quickly, you skip a step. There's definitely, there'd be several different ways you could transform an everyday story like that. So I guess I see it as sort of a fun, a fun challenge of drawing new links between things. I love it. That's such great advice. I have to say, Joe and I each have a young son as well, and kids are a font, an endless font of yeah. stories. It's it's unbelievable, you know, the things that happen to them that you can draw parallels to in our adult life. And so, so yeah, kids are great for that. <laughs> we know too. We can relate. We both have little <laughs> kids and it's stressful at times, but it's also very enriching and inspires you in unexpected ways. Very true. I love it. Thank you both so much for joining us and for sharing these great insights and ideas and talking about why business storytelling is so important for freelance translators and interpreters. I found myself chatting down lots of notes and smiling ear to ear several times. Such great examples of how we can make this a mindful practice. I really like the idea of noticing the stories around you and connecting seemingly connected things, practicing that creativity. This were such great ideas that I will take with me going forward. So where can our listeners learn more about this topic and how can they connect with you online? There's tons of information online about business storytelling. There's also, I'm a big fan of my Kindle. I have a Kindle and a Kindle Unlimited subscription. And I just looked it up earlier. There are dozens and dozens of books available on the topic if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. Also fabulous for other business books. So that's a great resource. But it's sort of the hot topic these days. So you don't have to look very far to find information on business storytelling. There are lots of online courses available as well. And as for connecting with us, there's our Lion Translation Academy website, which if you scroll down right to the bottom, you can get on our newsletter, our mailing list. We we communicate regularly with our followers. And of course, we each have our own LinkedIn pages. So we always Love to hear from uh, fellow translators and uh, and interpreters. Right on. And if I can jump in here, the I've read a huge pile of books on storytelling. I find it to be a fascinating, fascinating and really fun topic. I do find that there are a lot of business books, but many of them didn't really transfer that well to translation. But there's one that I found particularly great. It's called The Story Advantage by L.J. Bloom. The Story Advantage. 
that is my favorite of all the storytelling books that I've read because it's very simple, very straightforward. It gives you lots of tools and tips. And I'm, I'm very much a how-to kind of person. I like to know how to do stuff. So I, I found that was really helpful. And actually, to thank everyone for listening to this, we're going to be giving out a template, a client win template. So you can share a win that your client had after hiring you for a translation. So it sort of includes the template, what you need to include to game the algorithms and get great results online, and also sort of little checklist of things in terms of how to get your testimonial. That's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. And we'll add all those links to our show notes. And I will just say that I'm a subscriber and I love your newsletters. We all kind of struggle with overwhelm in our inboxes every once in a while, but I always look forward to your newsletters. They're so fun to read. Thank you so much. They're very good. Yes, and for sharing these great tips with us today. And we'll be sure to add the links to everything you shared in our show notes and include that in the email about this episode. And that's a wrap on today's episode. As always, in a couple of days, our email subscribers will get a summary of the episode with all the links to the resources we mentioned today. So if you don't receive our emails yet, you can sign up for them at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you.